Jesus, as we consider your kingdom today, and it challenges us and speaks to us, I pray, give us hearts that are receptive and ears to hear. Help us to understand your call to us. Amen. Grab yourselves a seat. Now, if you were here last week, or if you get emails from me, you would know that we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, if you like emails, that means you're not on our mailing list. Now, we don't spam you, and we don't ask for anything. We just occasionally give you updates. So if you want to get an occasional update, like church is starting back this week, this is what we're going to be talking about Make sure you email the church or scribble it down in the newsletter and thrust it into my hand or probably do, and hopefully I won't lose it. But do let us know your contact details so we can let you know what's happening. So we are in the city of Corinth. Now here is a prosperous and wealthy city in Greece that has actually become a Roman colony. And into this place, Paul has come and preached this news. There's a person called Jesus, and he is God's son, and he asks us to follow him. And I want to tell you just a little bit of a recap on what is Corinth. Last week, we saw Corinth was proud of its temple, probably to Apollo, but the other thing that made it wealthy that it was also proud of was its harbors, because Corinth is in this tiny little gap between two big harbours, and they'd bring the food up from Egypt, and then they would pick up the boats and carry them across four miles of land and then out to the rest of the Roman Empire. Now, Paul found me this picture this week. It took hundreds of years. This was built in the 1800s. This is where Corinth used to be, and you can see now they've cunningly put a canal and now many of the Caesars wanted to do this, none of them managed, but here it is now, this massive canal. So instead of picking up boats and carrying them across, now they can be tugged through. So this is Corinth and it was a wealthy city because it was strategically placed. But when the Roman Empire was spreading throughout Greece, Corinth held out and they wouldn't capitulate to the Roman forces. So the Romans came in, and I guess they decided to teach them a lesson. And it's just a matter of the size of army. And they destroyed the city of Corinth in 146 BC. And it reminded me a little bit of these images we're seeing of the Ukraine, this massive power just pummeling a city. And they took all the men in Corinth, and they killed them. And they took the women and children as slaves and left the city completely destroyed and empty. Now, back then even, the Romans loved their forms of torture. And if you know anything about Roman history, you'll know that they had perfected some of the most gruesome forms of uh, killing people. And one of them was by crucifying people. So here, possibly, in the city of Corinth, this is what they might have done to all the men, and they would take them out of the city hang them on whatever they could find, fence posts, trees, a piece of wood, whatever, and leave them to the most grisly death that has ever been devised in human history. So here is Corinth, an absolute ruin. And then Julius Caesar decides 
that it is strategically placed and a hundred years later, he rebuilds it. And into this area is this new city. Now again, it's just ruins now. This is what you'd see if you went there. But the new city was this real diverse ethnic mix of people and it was prosperous and it was thriving. And here's a little bit of a rendition of what they thought it was like. And you can see the temple in the foreground here and held about 50,000 people. And I want to show you a little video clip um, of what they think it might have been like. And note the Corinthian columns. Here's a wealthy city and what it looked like um, back just after Jesus was born. So there we have Corinth. Now you can imagine by looking at it, one, they have more stadiums than we do. <laughs> but here is a wealthy city. They've got that money coming in and they are prosperous and wealthy and they are proud. And into this area comes a man called Paul and he starts telling them the story. Here's Jesus. He's come to earth. He's the son of God and he died on a cross. Now, the Corinthians heard this, and it was just, to them, 
nonsense. How can someone who is important, influential, how can the very Son of God be humiliated in this worst of punishments? This is a punishment reserved for people who are not Roman citizens, for slaves, or for people who rebel against the empire. How could Jesus, this man that you claim is God, have died such an awful death? And it was something that the Corinthians still struggled with, even those following Jesus. And so Paul writes this letter, and I'm going to read from it now to them. And this is what he says. The message of the cross is foolish for those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know as the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, since God and his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So... When we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that the powerless and he chose things that are powerless to shame those that are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all. And use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made himself to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast... Boast only about the Lord. So here is a city that wants to boast of its grandeur. It's in an area of Greece that has got the whole history of Greek philosophers that boast of their deeds and how to be a great person so you can let the world know, I have achieved excellence. And Paul comes in with this foolish message. And as I talk today, I want to include pictures of crucifixions, because this is the very core of the message. God becomes a human, and humans see the teaching of Jesus. They see the person of Jesus. They see the work of Jesus, how he loves people. He includes the outcasts. He challenges the religious authorities, and they kill him. And then Paul says, God chooses this to shame the wise, And this foolish act is God's wisdom coming into human form. And this is confusing. 
How can this grisly death be God's wisdom? What on earth is going on? What is Paul trying to say here? Why would Jesus allow this to happen? One of the um, Roman leaders, Seneca, wrote this about crucifixion. Is there such a thing as a person who would actually prefer wasting away in pain on a cross, dying limb by limb, one drop of blood at a time, rather than dying quickly? Would any human being willingly choose to be fastened to that cursed tree, especially after the beating that left him deathly weak, deformed, swelling with vicious welts on shoulders and chest, and struggling to draw every last agonizing breath? Anyone facing such a death would plead to die rather than mount a cross. So here we have this confronting image. God allows himself to die this worst of imaginable human death. And in it, he says, he's shaming the wise and he's teaching us a new wisdom. One of the things Paul talks about is the philosophers and the scholars and the intelligent people. And he's talking about, you know, what they believe and how intelligence isn't intelligent and the wise are not wise. So what is it that they were, you know, advocating? And when you read some of the teachings of the philosophers, they ring really true even in today's culture. The values of Western Greek philosophers have come right through to our culture. And one of the uh, quotes from Aristotle, I think you could probably find in any leadership manual, and it says this, excellence is never an accident. It is always a result of high intention, sincere effort, and intelligent execution. It represents the wise choice of many alternatives. Choice, not chance, determines your destiny. And here is the aim of every good Greek person, to become wise, to become excellent. One of the reasons they had the Olympics was so people could perfect their body. And the Greeks really had this notion that you had to become perfect. And by doing that, you'd become the wisest. You know, you'd become the most physically fit. And this is how you could achieve excellence. A comment on this quote from a uh, present-day Website says this, make excellence your number one habit and message. And so here is a philosophy that permeates our culture. We're sending our children to school in the hope that they might become excellent, they might become wise. We might be able to send a braggy Christmas letter at the end of the year. Look at all the awards my child has won. Isn't this our hope and dream? Here it is. And yet... Paul writes this letter and he says this wisdom that we've inherited isn't wise. This form of intelligence that we receive is not intelligent. There's something else going on. So what is it? Jesus gathered his disciples together and they're fighting about, you know, hierarchy and who's the greatest. And he said this to them. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others. This kind of thinking is beginning to permeate our culture. 
or at least people give lip service to it. No, we need to be a servant leader. But the reality of this, I think, is quite different. And yesterday, as we watched the news coming in from Auckland, I think there was this sense that we really don't know at our top levels how to serve and how to be a servant leader. You know, the story of the Waka Kotahi um, staff going home, signing out at 7.30, I've done my dash for today, just, you know, figure out for yourself which roads are closed, I'm off home. Or where were the, you know, where was the CEO of the Auckland airport when, you know, it's knee-high in water and people are having to stay there and they, they say there was absolutely no staff. And I get, you know, the regular everyday staff member needing to go home to see their own house. But where's the CEO in all this mess? And then, you know, there's this endless debates now about the mayor. Did he do the right thing or didn't he? But all of it, there's this absence in our culture of people who serve, who become slaves to the people that they lead. And here is this challenge of the way of Christ. Jesus came and died this horrific death, ultimately to demonstrate to us this alternative. So here is Jesus showing that the wisdom that we try and grasp hold of, that we would climb the ladder in this dog-eat-dog world, will kick people to the curb so we can become excellent, we can become grand. Jesus shows this complete other way. And he talks about the kingdom of God, or for the Romans, God's empire. And what are the values of this empire? Is Jesus going to form an army and storm through a city and say, I'm your leader now? Here is this complete and radical alternative. The way of Jesus is the way of a slave, of a servant, who comes to give their life on behalf of those they lead. And so Jesus is put to death on a cross. And in doing so is the most visible witness imaginable. This is the alternative way of living, to live your life in service to one another. When I was 12, I was at a Christian school, and I think one of the most profound things happened to me, and that was I had a teacher who encouraged us to memorize Bible verses. Now, I don't think I did memorize my Bible verses because I wanted to, you know, bathe myself in Scripture at age 12. I did it because I wanted to be top of the class, just like the Greeks. <laughs> My dad was a minister. There was another kid in the class whose dad was a minister. And it was a battle. Who could come top <laughs> of scripture? And we came first equal, which my dad said he didn't think that was right because I'd come first in the first half of the year and it was tied in the second. So technically, maybe I should have been first, but you know. <laughs> couldn't quite write that in the Christmas letter. <laughs> but anyway, he made us memorize this Bible verse, which... I think has stuck with me. I created a whole song and dance routine, so I even got the full stops in the right places. But here is this verse, and um, I think it has been so profound for me. Even we had this at our wedding. We are coming up on Tuesday to 25 years of marriage, and there is nothing like. <laughs> I think there's nothing like that one-on-one, -on -one super close contact to remind you what a terrible person you are. <laughs> so here is this passage. This is the call of Christ. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, 
Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Here is this incredible challenge and invitation, challenge to learn to follow the way of Christ, and an invitation to be part of this new kingdom, where everyone recognises that the way of Jesus is the way for life. You know, the early Christians didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves followers of the way. And I think in our culture, and in this day and age, we talk about being a Christian almost like a label. It's a tick box. Yes, I'm a Christian. But the early Christians, it was people who followed this way. And what were they following? This way of servanthood, this way of becoming a slave rather than an exploitative leader over those around us. And here is this invitation, come and follow this new way of being in the world. This week, some of the staff here gathered, and when I say staff, it makes it sound like we're heading towards mega church. I'm, I'm the only person who's full-time around here, and then we have a whole lot of people that work sort of three, four, five hours a week. But we gathered, and we talked about these passages, and we talked about how do we make this the culture in our church? How do we make it so that when people see us, they say, it must be different with them? What on earth are they doing? As we're talking, there were some encouraging stories of people who said, now, when I worked in my secular job, it was nothing like being in the church. It was competitive, it was hierarchical, you know, you're always told you had to strive for more and you never made it, and, you know, people were oppressive. And a couple of people shared their stories about this huge transformation, and I went away from that feeling quite smug. We're doing quite well in this church. <laughs> we look after each other. And then in my smugness yesterday, I just noticed my attitude, and I noticed the sorts of things that I was thinking and saying, and I realised, this is really hard. I'm not there at all. You know, maybe there's a persona. Maybe when I'm at work, I play the game. But actually, at my heart level, this is still such a struggle to always think of other people as better than myself. So here's a struggle and a challenge. How do we do this as a community? I heard this beautiful expression once from a friend who said that when we come to church, we rehearse reality. This is a chance for us to practice serving one another, looking to others' interests before our own, and together saying, this is the way of Jesus in the world. And what would it look like to have a group of 100, 200 people who lived a complete alternative lifestyle, who served one another, who cared for one another, who's put one another's needs first. So here is the challenge for 2023. Can we walk the way of Jesus in our world? I want 
to finish by doing two things. And the first is to read those words again from the song that was just sung. The Beatitudes. And then I just want to have a time of quiet. And it will be an awkward time of quiet. Because it won't be the 30 seconds quick band to come out and put you out of your misery. Now this is a chance of you, for you, to talk to the very creator of the universe. And to be honest and acknowledge this is hard. How do I learn to serve each other? To serve one another? How do I learn to live the way of Christ? So let's hear these words of Jesus. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus, you call us to follow a way that is too hard for us to do in our own strengths. But Jesus, you are the name above every other name. And in you there is all power, the power that created the universe itself. And there is power to transform our hearts and our minds. God, give us the courage to choose your way in the world. There are so many temptations for power and for privilege and for wealth. But that was not the path you chose. God, help us to wrestle with what that means in our everyday life. How do we learn to serve like you did? How do we learn to lead like you did? How do we learn to love others more than we love ourselves? So Holy Spirit, I pray, come and speak to us now. Challenge us. Put your finger on what it is that we need to deal with this year.